welcome to Interviews with Educators. I'm Austin. And I'm Casey. We wanted to speak with individuals involved in education about education. I mean, we talk to each other a bunch, but we value other perspectives. Thanks for joining us. That's true. Welcome back to another episode of Interviews with Educators. I'm Casey Oliarnik. And I'm Austin Ferguson. And we are here with Dr. Patrick Keenoy. Welcome. Hello, fellas. Thanks for having me. It's quite an honor to be here. We appreciate your time. Um, now, to get started, uh, we would like you to take us through your journey um, as you became an educator, as you decided to become an educator. Let's start from the, from the beginning, if you like. Sure. So my journey to becoming an elementary school principal is one that um, had we had this conversation very early in my high school days, I don't think this is where I would have been talking um, at this point in time. So I, of course, finished college and uh, was a history and political science major. <clears throat> and I made the decision at that time to enter the seminary to be a priest for the Roman Catholic Church. So I was at Kenrick Glennon Seminary, located in Shrewsbury. And while I enjoyed it there very much for my year and a half as a seminary student, I just realized that that wasn't my life's calling. And so I went back to school to obtain my teaching certification. And so um, I should note too that in between seminary time and obtaining my teaching certification, I also worked in the private sector going to school at night to get my teaching credentials. I then had the good fortune of student teaching here at Oakville High School under the watchful eye of Mrs. Jan Harsh in the social studies department. She was a wonderful mentor and um, student taught, stayed at Oakville for a couple of years working as the in-school suspension teacher, daily assigned sub, a little bit of everything here at OHS. There was an opening in the social studies department. I applied for it, interviewed for it, was um, given the job. So I was a teacher here at OHS for about six or seven years and loved every minute of it. I had great friends still do my, my wedding. I always say wedding reception could have been an OHS faculty meeting because there were so <laughs> many OHS teachers there. And while I was teaching, I had the um, thought of obtaining a master's degree. And so I started going to UMSL to obtain my secondary certification. And then I ended up getting a job at Washington Middle School as an assistant principal. Two or three years into that position, there were just some changes in the district in terms of staffing. And so I was asked by Dr. Knost, the superintendent at the time, to work at Washington Middle and Troutline. And so I then went to school to get my elementary certification credentials for administration. Um, a couple of years into rotating between both Washington, I was generally at Washington three days a week. I was okay. at Troutline generally on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I would always tell everybody if it's a day that begins with a T, I'm at Troutline, which <laughs> begins with a T. And then after having done that, there was an opening at Rogers Elementary School for an elementary school principal. 
and I applied for that job and was successful in the interview and have now been at Rogers for six years as the principal there. Nice. Okay, so you have been in education how long total? LinkedIn says I've been in the district <laughs> for 20 years, okay. so I don't know if I entered that incorrectly. I do know that I student taught when Al Gore was running for president. Oh. And I just know that because as a social studies teacher that in my taught government that year, that was just the big issue that we were talking about all the time was the Bush-Gore election. Okay. So two years after that is when I became a full-time teacher. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you, you mentioned you, you were in the private sector yes. while you were um, getting your teaching certi mm -hmm. certification, mm -hmm. what were you doing in the private sector? I'm so, just curious. Yeah, yeah. When I, there's a few things. One is that when I started university days at St. Louis University as an undergraduate, I was an accounting major. And so I started as an accounting major because I had taken accounting in high school and I thought it was really interesting. And my mom works in an accounting firm. But then I took my first accounting class at St. Louis University, and what we had covered in about one year of high school was essentially covered in the opening day mm. of the accounting one class, and it, it just wasn't for me. Why do I state this? Because I did have a little bit of a background with, with handling budgeting and, and handling the books, so to speak. So my mom, who worked in an accounting firm, she was able to get me... A, a job at a painting company doing their payroll okay. and things of that sort, you know, managing their their books, if you will. I did that. And then um, I also spent some time in sales, selling advertising, and I was horrible at it. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was the worst. I would call somebody up you know, wanting to make this sale, and they would say, I'm not interested. A very good salesman is able to develop a rapport, a conversation, even if they send it, say no the first time, they're able to somehow create a bond, mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, the person is buying something. So I would make the call, and the person would say, I'm not interested, and I'd say, okay, thank you, and I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd hang up the phone. So I realized right away that that certainly was not my calling. So looking back, of course, that was a blessing because it realized something that I wasn't going to be successful at. And also working at that painting company ended up being a blessing too because it was close to UMSL. Okay. So I was able to drive there right after work so I could. Um, that was helpful when it came to student teaching. The place that of my employment was just super nice to me. And so uh, I'll always be grateful to them for their kindness and charity and letting, they really worked around my schedule. Nice. For but it was nice. What was nice about it too, being in, in, in those jobs outside of education is you just, um, you know, I was interacting with people on a daily basis that aren't where now I've spent my entire mm -hmm. professional career. And so just to, um, talk with people about their line of business, which I guess was my line of business, while it was exciting, it definitely made me realize that that's not what I wanted to do and that education was actually my true vocation of what I'm supposed to be doing. 
when you when you first started talking about your experience with uh, keeping books, I thought you were going to say you became a bookie. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you, you know, I, I was pushing that, a little bit. That, no, I, I'm sorry that I'm unable to have had, I didn't have that experience. <laughs> I used to be a bookie in uh, Loveland, Colorado. I would take take bets at, at uh, Cloverleaf Dog Track. It was a it was a legal legal right. bookie, of course, of course. But yeah, right. I ran I ran one of the stations. Okay. Um, well, if I'm ever I'm in need of one, I will know. Who I know how to. Track. I know I know all the bets on the dogs okay. or the horses. All if right. You, if you are all interested. right, I'll keep that in mind. All right. I like it. So you kind of mentioned that when you were in high school, you took an accounting class, and that that sort of helped you figure out where you thought you wanted to go initially. Sure. Um, this year, especially in our district, and in years past in other districts as well, um, there has been sort of a push towards taking education from the standard, the traditional route of you have to take this math class because we say you have to take this math class and things of that nature and moving more towards um, career readiness or exposure to things that students 20, 30 years ago might not have had. So based on what you know from an elementary perspective or as students work their way through an entire school district, what are some courses that you've seen or some projects or clubs, organizations that you've heard of um, or have been a part of that you think are maybe the most exciting to get students into different career choices or at least expose them to different things prior to graduation? Okay. Well, I can speak from when I was at Oakville High, probably 10 to 14 years ago, many of the initiatives that have been undertaken here in the last few years weren't uh, around yet. So it has been really interesting to see the development of many of the programs that are in existence nowadays that have given students the opportunity to explore different career paths. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the things that I think has just been really valuable with the work that our district and Oakville High and Melville High have been doing is allowing students at a young age to explore different options. I know that now in the elementary level where I'm more familiar with now where we may not necessarily doing career pathways so to speak we are certainly instilling in the young people through activities and engaging lessons the whole idea of becoming critical thinkers and um, independent thinkers and just exploring different avenues of way to solve a problem, for example, which mm -hmm. I think it, as the as they mature and get older, that um, multiple ways of looking at a problem, of looking at an issue, are definitely going to be beneficial as they begin to make career choices. And so, I do see where we are beginning to set the foundation. So by the time our young ones finish, say, elementary school. They have a better grasp of content, but also of those emotional skills. The EQ and the IQ is a little more nuanced than it probably was, I'm sure, when I was a student, which I know will then prove beneficial to them as they get to the secondary ranks of high school, middle school mm -hmm. and high school. Nice. Did that answer your question? It absolutely answers my question. Yes. So you've seen all different levels of... Of school you've been you've worked in in the high school you've worked in the middle school and you've worked in the elementary and and uh, did you have any supervisory roles at the high school level well 
Not really. Okay. Um, well, let me go back. Let me go back on this because this was actually a big stepping stone to my decision to become an administrator was when um, towards the end of my time at Oakville High School under the leadership of Mr. Scheffler, who was the principal, we as a Oakville High staff decided to become a professional learning community school, PLC school. And so what each department was asked to have was a representative okay. of each department on the PLC leadership team. And to be honest with you, I hadn't thought about being on it because I was still a relatively newer teacher in our department and I thought other people would maybe want to to do it and probably should have been a little bit more assertive if that was something that was interesting to me but I just wasn't and I just do remember I believe it was Dr. Streb came to me and said we are looking for somebody to represent social studies on the leadership team would you do it and I said yes and it was as a result of that that we then went through training with PLC and it was just wonderful and I think that was one of my first experiences of working with my colleagues in a somewhat supervisory role because I was monitoring implementation of common assessments okay. of looking at the data of um, just organizing the meetings making sure everybody was following the norms of the agenda and so that was my first experience, if you will, of supervision of peers and colleagues. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then immediately after that, or shortly after that, you started to move into a more supervisory role as an assistant principal. At, yes, after that um, I moved to Washington middle, middle School. Washington and Troutline, and mm -hmm. um, now leading the ship at Rogers. Correct. Um, so through that process, what is it, are there... There's similarities through all the through all the levels. What do you like to see when you go into a classroom? Or what do you like to see when you go into a building? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I always look for, and it's a word I use a lot, is the word joy. I look for students, scholars, I like to call them, being joyful in their learning. I like to see teachers being joyful in their profession, in their vocation, because it is such a privilege to be an educator. So I would say that I look for, for that. I look for collaboration, the students collaborating with each other, the teacher collaborating with the student, everybody being a learner, everybody being a teacher, everybody being actively engaged. I also like to see what we would call a productive struggle, right? Where things are not always mm -hmm. going to be easy. Learning is a difficult thing. Learning is challenging. You know, that's been, you know, just a little sidetrack. You know, I just remember for me and for my son, for example, just always thinking everybody just reads. It's such a complicated thing to teach a young person to read yeah, and absolutely. to be... Uh, a witness to that is always such a neat thing to experience. But getting back to the question, always looking for students to be engaged, teachers to be engaged, looking for our young scholars to be happy, to be working with their colleagues, and to be making meaningful connections between what they are learning to real life scenarios. The, 
reminds me of a um, an article specifically the productive struggle uh, portion of your your response reminds me of something I read this morning from John Spencer, um, and he he has a note in on his computer that says this might fail, and he's a creator. He likes to create something every day. He likes to create a difference in somebody's life. So he he likes to create an a blog post. He likes to create an article. He's working on a second novel right now. And all the, all these things that he's creating, he wants to make things as he goes. Um, but he always reminds himself that this might fail. And that that's not a necessarily a bad thing uh, because failing is different from failure. Um, and that's his, that's his growth mindset approach to that. So I like, I like the phrase productive struggle um, as a illustration of that that well, similar idea well i would tell you too part of my evolution it's been i really wish one day i would go back and write about just my evolution of my mental mindset mm -hmm. because it certainly has evolved since when i first became an administrator to now and i'm looking forward to seeing how it's even going to evolve even more so and it does relate to the notion of uh taking risks and of failure in the very beginning I was a perfectionist. In some respects, I still am, and it's something that I struggle with because I don't know if I want to be the perfectionist <laughs> because sometimes that becomes debilitating mm -hmm. where you don't go forward because you don't want to mess up. But it's on those margins, it's on those edges where the true learning takes place, and you're not going to get to those places if for me at least, this is just for me, if you are going to stay inside that comfort zone, if you stay inside that box. So I have really made it um, an initiative of mine the past few years, for example, to be doing things that stretch myself. And, you know, I always want to be successful, but if it's not successful, it's, it's, it's okay too, you know? And I, I tell the teachers at, at any school I've ever worked at all the time, we need to take risks. But I also felt like I shouldn't be telling the teachers to do that if I'm not doing it either. And so just I remember one prime example. If you were to have gone to my opening staff meeting the very first year I was at Rogers Elementary School, I had this glorious speech that I had given. Could have been presidential, <laughs> uh, inaugural address material is what it could have been. You know, but and then I just stood in front and read it, right? Uh, and I put meaning into it, of course, but that was my comfort zone. You know, that made me feel comfortable having those paper pages mm -hmm. in my hand. And now, while I still spend time preparing it, I no longer utilize those papers. I will still work with diligence and hard work and perseverance to make sure what I'm saying is what I mean and what I feel and that it's true and honest, but I've kind of taken that one little shield away. Mm -hmm. And I do know that the staff has noticed that because they have even commented to me before how, oh, in the very beginning, you would have had all this written out on a speech and, and now you don't. And so <laughs> that is just one example though um, of that. And I also too, as a parent, it's been pretty interesting too because I do what my son who has now turned 21 actually back in March you know it's how can I tell him to make to live a happy life and to be joyful and to take those 
risks if I'm not doing it myself. I can't ask him to do something that mm. I'm not willing to do myself. And so I feel that that has just been part of my evolution. You know, even hearing about this podcast, young men, you know, I'm sure if this had been four years ago, I would have spent all day fretting about this. Now, granted, you know, I was making sure I want to make sure I come across sounding as if I'm somewhat intelligent and know what I'm talking about. But I mean, it is what it is. The chance to converse about education with two upstanding educators is always a, a good thing. And so, um, you know, just as I say, part of that evolution that I know I feel I feel that I've been having personally. Nice. Thank you for the compliment, by the way. Yeah, sure. Um, well deserved. <laughs> I'll take it. Well deserved. Um, Tasty years is well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do appreciate um, it. So you kind of touched on this briefly. You were stating that when you're talking to new teachers and you're sort of trying to lead by example of failing forward is always like the sure, phrase that comes to yeah. mind whenever I think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, just at least getting started somewhere, having an idea of where you want to go and taking off with it and knowing that it might not work to the, its full potential, but that at least you're trying and making progress. Um, is there any other type of advice that you would give to someone who is currently in college looking to go into education or someone who is starting their career as an educator? Like, what would you tell them to sort of, every first year teacher is always like on the brink of a nervous breakdown the full Mm -hmm. year, just because that's the nature of the beast with your first year. So how do you sort of interface with your new hires in your building, or if you were to talk to someone in a collegiate setting, what would you tell them in terms of getting ready to become an educator or ways that they might want to prepare? Okay, my goodness, that's such a big question. And so, Austin, I'm going to ask you for your help in this. And that sometimes, sure. and this happens to me a lot in interviews, where I start talking and then suddenly I have forgotten the question. <laughs> I also so, rambled. It was a long version of a question. So yeah. I may need some redirection the, a little the bit. The main takeaway question so, is sort of what would you tell so, a new educator? Well, I would first of all give them the advice that someone gave to me as I was awaiting to be introduced to the Melville community as the principal of Rogers. But you can extrapolate this down to a teacher. And the person told me to have fun. The job of being a teacher is extremely difficult. The job of being a teacher is one where quite literally there's always something to do. Mm-hmm. There's either a lesson to plan, a parent to call, a student to be in contact with, professional development. Quite literally, you could go from August to May and never stop working. All right. So I always tell new teachers that that's part of the deal of what you signed up for. But if you have the right mindset, you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, I'm not saying you work straight from August to May because self-care is critically important. I just had a conversation with some the other day. If you are not taking care of yourself, that's not helping the children out. So I feel that new educators need to be joyful in their position as a teacher because it is the greatest vocation to be in in the world as an educator. Seconded. 
Started to... <laughs> what a what a proving crowd I have. <laughs> so there's that component to realize that you're never going to be caught up. You know, you're just not. And you're going to have to learn to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you also have to remember that when you are doing that work, to be giving the best effort that you possibly can because the kids deserve it and the parents are entrusting their children to your care. And so you have to give that best effort. So it's about having that balance and finding that balance all in the spirit of knowing that you are doing good things, all in the spirit of being happy with what you're doing and knowing that you have made the right career choice. So those are the things that I talk to new teachers about. Nice. Sort of along those same lines, because you kind of already touched on it, um, you stated that you think that self-care is super important, and I would agree with that. What are some things that you personally do in terms of self-care to make sure that you don't burn out? Because there's nothing worse than being in a building where the administrators or teacher leaders or anyone who is sort of in charge of others has that feeling of just having fizzled. Mm -hmm. So what do you do to make sure that that does not happen to you? What might you suggest that others do? Okay. Um, I exercise a lot. I probably work out six days a week. I run four days a week, which equals to about 35 miles a week of running. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love running. It is my time. I don't listen to music. Uh, it's just one of those that's, that's my time. And so I, that's why I always get frustrated when I'm injured, when I can't run because riding the bike is just not the same thing for me. So physical fitness is something. I also love to read, even though I love to read education books, leadership books. I always make sure I have two books I'm reading. One is an education book, but one always has to be something that is not education related at all. I also feel that over the last few years in particular, I've become much more of a spiritual person. And I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that I meditate because I don't feel that I do that, but I do an equivalent of it. I take five minutes in the morning when I wake up and I put away technology, TV is not on. I have this little red light in the downstairs in our piano room that I turn on so it creates a nice atmosphere in there and it's just me thinking, reflecting, praying if you will, you know, for lack of a better term. It's probably more appropriate term is what it is. I also do that same exercise before going to bed each night. I also um, choose to select a word a year that is going to be that word. Excuse me. <laughs> and this, and for one year, it was the word gratitude. And so I've started a gratitude journal. And I haven't been as 100% successful on this as I would like to be. But I end each workday. In theory, this is how I end each workday. It may only happen about four or five times this school year. But we haven't been in school too many days mm -hmm. yet. So that's right. not a bad average as of yet. Of writing three things that I was grateful for that happened that day. And 
what I have noticed it does is it forces me in a wonderful way to find the positives in even the smallest things. And so, and I believe research is clear on this. I'm not sure who the researcher is, but I've heard plenty uh, and read plenty about mm -hmm. this, that leaving your workplace and that positive mental mindset mm -hmm. helps when you go home and it, you know, helps reframe you so that you're ready for the next day. So those are the things that I choose to do. Um, and so if I were to advise, you know, a new teacher or an experienced teacher or a teacher leader, principal, anybody, I would encourage them to just find something that um, they enjoy doing that may have nothing to do with the teaching and learning process. The, uh, that's wonderful. I think that gratitude practice is, is very important and something that I have tried to implement in my in my life um i do it in the mornings uh when I, when i wake up before i get out of bed i try to think of three things that i'm i'm grateful for um before i start my day so that i can start my day uh regardless of how tired i am or regardless of what weird dreams i have some weird dreams but whatever <laughs> whatever is going on what else whatever else is going on i can think of three things before i get out of bed that i'm i'm grateful for um, which, which I enjoy a lot. Um, actually this summer I was listening to, or, well, I was listening to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Miller. He, he wrote ditch that textbook. Yes. Um, yes. he, he does a ditch summit every year. Um, and he does a lot of interviews with educators and one of the educators this year is named Roni Habib. And he, um, he does a gratitude practice, but he does it on Twitter. So he publishes his gratitudes um, every day. Uh, so I've been responding to him with, okay. with some gratitude. So it's almost like, a, a I always check for his. Um, and I like to, I like to throw mine out there too, just so that, um, I can kind of hold myself accountable, right. but in a public arena. Right. That's <laughs> so wonderful. yesterday was one of my son's birthdays and we went out, we took him out, um, to the equivalent of an independent Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, so my gratitudes yesterday were uh, pizza, arcade games, and birthday cake. Hey, there you there, go. And I'm still grateful for those oh, three yeah, things absolutely. today. <laughs> you know, I would tell you, Casey, during the year where gratitude was my word of the year, and then, and then one of the things that I undertook that year was I selected 12 people that played a major influence in my life in some way. And I found their address and I wrote them a letter expressing that to mm -hmm. them. That may have been one of the most, um, I never expected anything in return, but I mean, it has just been wonderful hearing back from some of those people and then hearing how much that letter meant to them to get that just out of the blue. Mm -hmm. So, and also it was just very selfishly, I enjoyed doing it, you mm -hmm. know, having the opportunity to thank somebody that played a role getting me to where I am today, because sometimes people didn't even realize the right. major impact they were having and they did. So I certainly just was grateful for all they had done. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it my turn to ask a question? It is your turn. Yes. <laughs> oh no! Uh, I, oh no! Um, so, oh, everybody, 
most administrators have classes that they look very forward to to seeing. We we have um, supervisory roles, so we we need to go into classes and see teachers teaching. What are the what are the types of classes that you look forward to going into? Casey, I look forward to going into every class. Of course you do, <laughs> but really. Which ones, um, which content ones do you enjoy learning with the students or, or interacting with the students or watching the students? I, lo- I love, for example, I love going into band and choir classes. Though those departments aren't uh, under my, um, my umbrella, I've, I've, I've always found solace in music. And that was what I did when I was in high school. I was in choir a lot. I've always enjoyed band. I don't... Um, I wasn't in band when I was in high school, but um, I love going into choir classes and hearing hearing students sing together. I think it's such a beautiful and wonderful experience to have a live piece of music being performed that nobody else in the world really gets to hear. Yes, yes. It's like a, a unique mm-hmm. opportunity. I remember Mrs. Anthony, who was an assistant principal here at Oakville High School when I was a teacher here, she always enjoyed going into the music classes as well uh, for strikingly similar reasons. I would say if I had to choose one content area, if you will, that, and I, it's funny that I'm going to say this, it would be mathematics. As a student, K, from when I was a kindergarten student to when I was taking my doctoral level classes in statistics and whatnot, math has always been a struggle for me. But I have enjoyed, particularly the past few years, going into math classes. And here's why. Our district has really... Uh, done a wonderful job of providing professional development to teachers, providing wonderful resources to teachers. And I was just talking about this today with, with someone, that going into a math class, whether it's a kindergarten class, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, these young people are talking about math in ways that I'd never heard before in an elementary level. Students are not scholars, I need to be mindful of that, are, are not just raising their hand and giving an answer. They're able to talk about how they got to that answer. They're able to explain what numbers mean. They're able to talk about ways that they are solving equations. And I know the hard work that the teachers have put into getting the kids that way, mm-hmm. because they too have had to go through a learning process of learning about the mathematical practices and persevering in mathematics. And so seeing that in action every day has just been been a joy to watch that happen. I also remember a few years back, Casey, when our district in the elementary level started utilizing the units of study in reading and writing in the ELA class. And I just saw how diligent our teachers were at least at Rogers, I know for a fact of getting ready for teaching the students. And I remember going into the lesson one of the very first days of school and I was able to observe the teacher teaching 
what she had been spending all summer preparing for. And I, I actually like started crying watching it. I mean, it literally was true because it was just, I knew how much effort that they had put into it in terms of getting ready and to see the positive response that the young people were having to the teacher. So honestly, I do enjoy going into all of them, but I have found particular satisfaction in math but I do think a lot of that is because that was one of my challenging areas as a student. And so seeing the young people excelling at it is something that I enjoy watching. I enjoy that. I like, and it makes me reflect on why I appreciate the music classes so much. I think that part of that is that they're not under my umbrella and I can go in and just enjoy for a moment, mm -hmm. especially if I just need to speak to a student. Uh, it takes me longer to, pull those students out <laughs> than it does in, in, in many classes. But I'm like you, I do enjoy seeing uh, those processes that teachers are going through and how they are implementing curriculum in new and exciting ways and, right. and how students are reacting and able to verbalize their learning. Um, and you see that excitement when they're in some sort of science experiment and something Finally. happens. Yeah, and someone it, talks about science. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the, the discovery of just new knowledge yeah. is just incredible to watch, you know. And I think, you know, earlier I talked about the difficulties of learning to read. I think when we are high school teachers, we just assume everybody right. does it, right? But having gone to the elementary level and to just see how difficult of a process that is, it is just so interesting to see it all come together. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the neat things about being an elementary person, an elementary administrator, is those are things that I get to see on a regular basis of it, that light bulb moment is just so neat and then you know i tweeted out a few uh, a week or so ago where it was the young man tying his shoe for the very first time in his life like right. that's a skill he's going to be doing forever <laughs> right and to have been able to capture that when he's never done it before was just really humbling it is and inspiring mm -hmm. as well yes indeed yes I don't get as many of those at the high school level, but the thing that I posted the other day that was on Twitter, the student who solved that one puzzle in my room, Yeah, my students have been working on that puzzle for over a year, mm -hmm. and this student came in and looked at it for like 10 minutes and was like fiddling with it right at the end of class. He got one piece off, and it's like three interlocking pieces of metal. He got one piece out, and the other two were still stuck on there, and he was working on it, working on it, working on it, and then the bell rang. And so now it's passing time and he's still working on it. And I'm standing there looking at him like, are you leaving sometime soon? Because I'm not writing you a pass for this. And he looks at me, he's like, I know I'm really, really close. And I was like, well, you have about a minute left to get to your class. And he sat there just like twisting away at it and finally like pulled him apart and was like, I got it. And like threw him down on the table and ran out the room. <laughs> so like his level of excitement was like 11 just in that one little moment where he got it. So I don't get to watch people tie their shoes for the first time by themselves. But even things as silly as just like a logic puzzle or like a manipulative that they can sit there and play with, watching them get that is really interesting. Or when things sort of click together and they understand why we did the lab that we did, or when they set up their own lab and they get their own results back and they can sort of explain what they were doing. I love that kind of stuff. Right, so. because knowing that you played a part in someone getting better, Right. knowing that you played a part in 
making the world a better place is just uh, inspiring to use your word, Casey. Mm -hmm. Right, they're leveling up right in front of you. It's <laughs> really, really fun. I love it. Um, so you kind of mentioned previously that um, you had a bunch of different things that you had written to people sort of as like a gratitude um, exercise for yourself and then to send it off to other people and how that sort of began a rapport back and forth with a few of those individuals. Would you say that you had a person that you would consider in your past who was maybe a hero to you? Um, and if so, would you mind speaking about that individual? Sure. Um... Or if there's a number of people, since you picked 10 that you wrote to, or right. you can pick someone you didn't write to. Right. Um, if we want to stick with, I would like to stick with education, right? You know, I, I would have to say, you know, my parents, they're like, this is not getting off of education for a second. My parents sacrificed a lot uh, when my and my sisters were younger for our education. Um and I will forever be grateful for that. They sacrificed a lot for my sisters and I to go to the schools that we went to. When it then comes to those people that I am grateful for, I think of one of my professors at St. Louis University in the School of uh, Education, Dr. Everson. She was one that really pushed me to work hard she is one that on my dissertation when i was whenever i thought i was finished she'd be like nope you got to work on this and even though i was really upset at the time the finished product was worth it in the end so i have taken her determination her commitment to excellence to heart i remember i had a professor at umsel by the name of dr beckwith and it is because huh. of Dr. Beckwith. Dr. Lynn Beckwith. Indeed. Yep, I Dr. love that. Lynn Beckwith. Yep. Inspect what you expect. Yep. You know, part of the reason that the way I dress, the way I dress, is because of Dr. Beckwith. He was always, to him, you know, you were a professional. Education was the noblest profession. And so he always wore suit three-piece suit part of the reason i do all that is a homage to dr beckwith but i did he loved kids and he would he was willing to do anything to help his school or mm -hmm. his district be successful so i have taken those things from him as well and then you know i just remember my department chair here when i was a, uh, at oakville high school you know mr syme took a chance on hiring me as a teacher Right? I wasn't a coach. I wasn't sponsoring a club or anything at the time. Um, so he took a chance for, for me and was a supporter of me. And so I'll be forever grateful to him for that. So I would put him on that list as well. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I have many people on the Mount Rushmore <laughs> uh, that would be more than four. I would need like a whole... Uh, vista of mountains and sure so uh the characteristics that many of them share are that they inspire others that they hold high expectations and that they um of themselves high expectations of themselves and others and they really believe in those that they work with i think are kind of takeaways that mm -hmm. I have. That Are there any right. other characteristics that you could pinpoint that would uh, encapsulate 
those individuals. Sure. Kindness. Um, willing to give people second chances. Willing to give the benefit of the doubt. Willing to let people make their own mistakes. And then after those mistakes happen to be a supporter and how can we figure this out to work it out, you know, not mm -hmm. scolding right. uh, or accusatory. I would say those are some other characteristics that I picked up from them as well. And things that I know that I try to incorporate in my professional career, but also as a human being, you know, all of those things that we've talked about as traits and as characteristics, I think are I think are those things that transcend not just education, but just being a good and decent person. And I think ultimately that's what all of those heroes, uh, all of those people that got a letter from me, and even those that I didn't get to send one to, um, but I could have, is that they were just good people. People you can trust, people you can rely upon. Some of them are going to be a little more assertive in telling you mm -hmm. what they think about things, but sometimes that's what I needed. Um, and so those are just, you know, things that stick out in my mind of on those people that have played a major impact in my life. Dr. Gino, you speak very highly of these, these individuals. I would like to follow up with, um, what, what do you hope your legacy is? What would you like to leave the buildings that you leave? I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the tail end of your <laughs> career. I'm not suggesting that, that there's, uh, any reason for you to move beyond what, uh, where you are now? I just, what would you like, how would you like people to remember sure. you? Somebody that was fair, somebody that was committed to justice, um, somebody that viewed being an educator as as people saw me, is that I felt that I had the, a moral imperative to do what was right, even if it wasn't maybe popular opinion, that I was willing to um, do the right thing, even if it would have been the unpopular thing. I would also like to, you know, leave a legacy where people feel empowered to make decisions on their own. I'd like a, a legacy to be where uh, the school is better uh, off because I was there mm -hmm. and that people feel better not only as educators, they feel that they have improved as educators and, and perhaps as even people on account of knowing me. Those are great, great yeah. aspects of the language. I know. Oh, that's not like a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want it to be my legacy. I don't know if that's I'm how I'm taking it. I'm, I'm taking it. I'm writing it down. Writing it down too. So you kind of mentioned previously that whenever you're reading as one of the things that you do to decompress, yes, that you yes. have usually a book that you are reading for just like a leisure time activity. Yes. And then other books that you read that are educational or uh, leadership based. Do you have particular books or maybe articles or other podcasts or things that you have been exposed to that you think other educators should look into if they've not already done so? Like, what would you say are sort of things that you would have others focus on? Okay. My favorite list of authors 
may already be people that already have but i i mean i can't help it that they're popular but i just i i love anything by todd whitaker i love anything by rick defore and bob eaker and rebecca defore i will read those folks non-stop as a matter of fact i've just gone back and started ordering old works of defore just to trace back i mean this is the kind of person i am ordering old copies of DeFore's <laughs> books to get his, how his thinking progresses. But I enjoy reading those. I enjoy the work of Joe Sanfilippo and his work on hacking leadership. Mm -hmm. I have found that to be very intriguing. On Twitter, I follow many people, Joe Sanfilippo being one of them, Todd Whitaker, of course, being one of them as well, and just many others. Uh, sometimes whose views might be different than mine, just to, to um, you know, make sure I'm always solid in what I'm thinking. For a while, I was listening to some education podcasts. Educators Lead was one of them. Um, I was also listening to Better Leaders, Better Schools for a while. But now, I've recently been... Uh, and I would encourage educators to listen to to the following podcast. It is not education related per se, but I have just recently come to love Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history. I just can't stop listening to it. I don't know what I'm going to do when I am all caught up <laughs> with all of the episodes, but I just love the fact, I think part of it stems from when I was a teacher here, right? I, I was a social studies teacher. So I love that historical aspect. What I also love too is the fact that there are different ways to look at things and those first impressions aren't always the right one mm -hmm. and just in the limited time that i have been listening to it i have found that that has just helped me even in my job as an educator when i'm hearing um, something that a teacher is telling me it has just opened my mind to just hearing things from a different perspective or if students are coming to me with a challenge or there's been an argument between two of them you know just it has just been really enlightening to listen to that. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. I like Very that. Very comprehensive answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm for sure going to check out Revisionist History. Oh, I'm too. surprised a man of your caliber hasn't already <laughs> uh, listened to it. I'm are, sure Austin has. I have heard listened all to a few of them. Yeah, they are pretty good. There are, you are the odd one out of this room right now. <laughs> Not in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> well, I, I only have one, one final question that I would like to to ask you and I really really wanted to extend gratitude uh, for your time today thank you so much for coming in to talk to us and um, I want you to understand that this question you don't have to answer it if you don't want to because I don't know if you keep this a secret or not okay uh, but your one uh, word for years past was gratitude yes um, I've heard you say joy repeatedly yes yes today. Uh, is joy your word for this year or no, what is your word no, for joy is not my word for okay sure and I was fearful as I started talking and mentioning Word of the Year that you were going to ask me oh, that. Oh, goodness. Because um, I don't know if I'll have the exact definition memorized, but I do have this word. And it's the word audacity. And if you look at the definition of audacity, you 
entered in the computer, it comes up with two definitions. First one, which is I'm struggling for the life of me to remember as we are sitting here. But as I say that to you, it is of a positive connotation. Mm -hmm. Yes, a willingness to take bold risks. Thank you, Austin. No problem. That's what I'm here for. So a willingness to take bold risks. That is what I want to do. That is what I want the young scholars to do. That is what I want the educators to do. But if you take a look at that definition, definition number two reads rude or disrespectful <laughs> behavior. And when I presented this word to the staff this year at my opening meeting, I was struck by good fortune because the only definition that I posted on the screen for this app to see was the one that said a willingness to take bold risks. But I work with a clever group of people, and so they know that this word has two meanings. And I was like called out on a little bit, like, oh, but that means rude too. And so here's where I feel like I was struck with a moment of genius, is that I said to them, you know what, it's right. It, that is part of the definition. But what I think it illustrates is that each and every day, you and I have the chance to uh, decide what do we want to be. Do we want to be that person of positivity or negativity? Do we want to be that person that gives support or do we want to be that person that's the cynic? I choose to be audacious and that I'm going to take the bold risks. And so that's what I hope you will do this year. And that's what I will hope you will instill your scholars to be doing this year. Is this rude or disrespectful part of it? Are there going to be times where maybe I act that way? <laughs> you know, I hope not. But if I do, I'm human. I make a mistake. I learn from it. I reflect on that. How can I do better the next time? So audacious is my word for the year. Audacity is okay. my word for the year. And even that second definition of being sort of rude doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're being rude with intent. It could be more along the lines of upsetting the status quo mm -hmm. because falling in line and doing what's always been done, of course, is something that placates everyone around you and it's easy to do. But as soon as you start to take those bold risks and try to move forward and have that growth mindset, it upsets everyone around you because you're not conforming anymore. And so I think that might be another way to sort of spin that second definition into less of a negativity uh, than what you're trying to do with it. So I think that would be good. It would be like the whole disruptor movement that's happening in education right now. Brilliance. Austin is brilliant. Of course. <laughs> that's why That's why I'm riding his coattails during this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, again, thank you so much for your time. Today. You're welcome. Thank um, you for having me. It was absolutely. a pleasure speaking with both of you. We'll have to, once we, once we come up with another list of valid questions, we'll have to have you back and, and we can talk about, talk about some more education stuff. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you could use the Twitter. I am at C. Oleyarnik. That is at C-O-L-E-A-R-N-I-C-K. And I'm at Austin W. Ferguson. That's A-U-S-T-I-N 
W-F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N. Bye. Bye.